0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned, at the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 24. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Matthew chapter 24, boy, am I excited about this teaching this morning. And it's a big one. Get your pen. Get your pad. You're going to need it. Matthew chapter 24. Now, if you've been with us, you know we've been going verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew. We've been in the gospel of Matthew for two years. It's amazing. I couldn't believe it. I actually went and checked my own notes. And uh, we have been in the Gospel of Matthew for two years. After two years, we come to underscore, highlight bold, the most important, in my opinion, the most important two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 deal with the subject of prophecy. Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Now, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, it is the third of three major discourses in the gospel of Matthew. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We know it as the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. That is the first discourse that Jesus gives in the gospel of Matthew. And then the second major discourse that Jesus gives in the gospel of Matthew is found in Matthew chapter 13. We call that the mystery parables. And here in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, we come to the third and the final discourse that Jesus gives. It's known as the Olivet Discourse. you got to take some notes this morning because i got to give you a lot of stuff. And I don't have time to read everything I have. So you're going to have to go and do your homework. The Olivet Discourse is a fancy way to say a sermon that is given from the Mount of Olives. The Olivet Discourse. Over the next several weeks, six to eight weeks, we are going to be on the Mount of Olives with Jesus Peter, James, John, and Andrew dealing with this subject of prophecy over the next six to eight weeks. Who knows, maybe longer. Depends. What the Holy Spirit says. We're just waiting for Jesus to come back. Ain't no rush. Say amen, y'all. Y'all like, really? That's a long time. And the title of my sermon over the next 68 weeks, this is kind of nice. I'm just going to title every single one of them, The Coming of the King. The Coming of the King. So with that said, Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 14 and then we'll come back and we'll have some comments. I'm going to ask you to turn your brain on. I know you lost an hour of sleep, but you got to wake up and hear. What the Spirit says. Amen, saints. Look at verse 1. Hey, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Then Jesus went out. Circle that. And he departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, important. Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, to, saying tell us. Now, they asked him, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, I'll tell you early, and Andrew. They, it's in Mark 13 where we learn that. Who are these disciples? was well, four of them. And they, these four guys, they come and they ask him three questions. Notice, when will these things be? Number one, and what will be the sign of your coming? Circle that, the second question. And what will be the end of the age? The third question. And then in verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many, many, many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive you. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there's going to be famines, underline that, pestilence, underline that, earthquakes, underline that, in various places. And in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. This is huge. Then they will deliver you up to, tri- to, to tribula- tribulation, I can't speak this morning, to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and they'll hate one another, and then many false prophets are going to rise up and they're going to deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, what saints? The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end, in verse 13, shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Stop right there. Give me your attention. In Matthew chapter 22 and 23, remember, Jesus, if you were with us, you know this. Jesus found himself in the middle of controversy with the religious leaders. And now here in Matthew chapter 24, the controversy is over. His public ministry is over. He's no longer talking to the multitudes and to the scribes and to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. But in privacy, he's teaching the disciples about the second coming. And what will be the sign of the end times. Now, we know, because we are all good Bible students, chapter and verse is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are inspired of the Holy Spirit, but chapter and verse were put there by man for easy reading. So when you go from chapter 24 to chapter 25 or any other chapter break, You have to get it in context with the previous chapter. Otherwise, your theology is going to be really messed up. Now, you want to notice here, we need to go back and just kind of peruse chapter 23, verse 37. Go ahead, look at it in your Bibles. Get back up there. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 through 39, Jesus is weeping and lamenting over Jerusalem. And he said, your house is left desolate and you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see that now when Jesus talks about your house, understand something. He's not talking about your neighborhood. Like where you live, your address, your street. When Jesus talks about your house, speaking to the nation of Israel, he is talking about the two things. He is talking about the temple and he is talking about the nation as a whole. So Jesus says, you want to notice, if you destroy what he is saying is if you destroy the temple, you destroy the nation. Jesus is saying the nation is going to be judged and the nation won't see the Messiah until they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord so when jesus what jesus is talking about and what he's referencing is the second coming which then takes you into chapter 24 verse 1 as they are leaving the temple the disciples show jesus the buildings of the temple because jesus had just said their house was going to be left desolate now remember he's talking about the temple and the nation He said, your house is going to be left desolate. The disciples, they're looking at the temple. They are standing there. They can see the temple from the Mount of Olives. If you're going to Jerusalem with us, this is an amazing sight. And when Jesus said, your house, that temple is going to be left desolate, do you understand that this blew their minds? Because the the, the temple was massive. It was beautiful. The stones were 40 by 12 by 12 They weighed, they they were as large as many of them were, as large as railroad cars. They weighed, many of them, 150 tons. So when Jesus says, your house is going to be left desolate, they're looking at these huge, big, massive stones, and this is completely blowing their minds. This is blowing their minds. Now keep in mind that the disciples are from where? Galilee. They're Galileans. They are fishermen. So the disciples, when they come to Jerusalem and they look at the temple, you got to understand, they're kind of like country bumpkins. The disciples, are coming, they, they come to Jerusalem, they see this big, beautiful temple, they go, man, there's some big old stones up there. <laughs> Wee doggy. <laughs> Well, they kind of caught your because it's almost like if we go to New York City and you have never been to New York City and you go to New York City and you in Manhattan, you go, man, there's a mighty tall building. They sure is a lot bigger than them is in Raleigh. <laughs> you understand saying that if you understand that. Okay. So these guys, they come to the city the big city, this huge, massive temple. And Jesus says, fellas, see that temple? It's coming down stone by stone. There won't be one stone left upon another. These guys are thinking you got to be kidding me. Now, understand that there were three temples in the history of the nation of Israel. The first temple was the big, beautiful, ornate Solomon's temple. The second temple was the rubber temple. And the third temple was the refurbished Herod's temple. As Herod came in and did a building project, refurbished the third temple. Some scholars disagree with that, but I think it's true. And many do. So Jesus said, fellas, I'm telling you, there won't be one stone left upon another. And do you know that word of prophecy out of the mouth of our Lord came true to the T as it was just several years later that a Roman general by the name of Titus in A.D. 70 came storming into the city of Jerusalem with his army and they burned the city and they burned the temple. And when they burned the temple, the gold that was in the temple melted and all of the gold began to seep between the cracks of the stones. And the Roman army took each stone apart, took the whole temple apart to scrape the gold. And just as Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another. And I believe that even in Israel today, we talk about three temples. I believe there's going to be a fourth temple. There's going to be a fourth temple. And that temple's going to be built on the temple mount. You know, that wee little bit of piece of property that all the commotions over. I think there's going to be a fourth temple there. As a matter of fact, the Jewish people do, too. Why do you say that, Rodney? Because they're getting ready for it. In the Temple Institute today in Jerusalem, they have all the vestments prepared They've raised the red heifers for the sacrifice. You know the little the little shovel pan. I cannot. I meant to find out between last service what the name of that thing was. But but it's a you know the shovel to get the ashes out of the altar and, and, and all of the tools and investments that it's going to take to get back to the to the sacrifices and get back to temple worship. And all of the clothing and the stones have been sanctified and the clothing has been purified and set apart and the wash basin and all of these things in the temple institute today are ready. All they're waiting on is to build the fourth temple. Now, let me tell you something, Christian, you're not going to be here to see the building of that temple. Oh, you might see it. But if you're a Christian, guess what's going to happen before that? You're going to get raptured. And then you're going to have a box seat from heaven. And you'll look down and you're going to see the temple being built. And you're going to say, man, Lord, you said that was going to happen. Well, you said I'd be here before it happened too. And now I'm here. So, I mean, this is kind of cool. I think there's going to be a fourth temple built. And uh, and then the priesthood will be reinstated. So Jesus said, no stone will be left on top of another. The disciples, they asked the three, que- three questions. What will be, what, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what is the sign of the end of the world? And then Jesus gives them the longest answer recorded in the Bible. He gives long answers and he details prophecy. Now, there's some people, they don't like prophecy. Some people say, Rodney, why we got to study prophecy? I don't need to know about prophecy. I, I mean, I need to know how to be a better husband, right? I need to know how to be a better wife. I need to know how to be a better father or a better n- mother. Why do we study prophecy, Rodney? Why do we have to take the time to study prophecy? Let me give you two quick reasons why we have to take the time to study prophecy. Number one, because it's in the Bible. Say Amen, saints. It's in the Bible. Prophecy is in the Bible. Absolutely. It's amazing how often it's in the Bible. 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned one out of every 30 verses on average from Genesis to Revelation. So by the mere repeated mention of prophecy, it tells us that God wants us to understand prophecy. Secondly, we study prophecy because prophecy influences, purifies your life. First John chapter three, verse three, John said it like this. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, the promise, John says, the promise that Jesus will return should motivate us to live a life that is holy and purified. The word purified means to be free from sin, so John is saying everyone that has the hope of the second coming before them keeps themselves sin free and staying free. In other words, John is making the point that, listen, your knowledge of a certain thing causes you, listen, causes you to act a certain way. Your knowledge of a certain thing causes you to act a certain way. For example, if you know or when you find out that your driver's license is expired, all of a sudden you become a good Christian driver. (laughs) Isn't that true? Why? Because your expired license has an effect on you. Girls, ladies, you're going on the big date. You finally got a date. No, I'm just kidding. I'm talking about and you're going on the big date. You know the guy's coming over to pick you up. Your knowledge of something affects the way you live. So you know this guy's coming to pick you up. What do you do? You get your hair dead. Same. <laughs> I get your hair done. You get all fixed up, you put on makeup, you're ready when he gets there. You see, and same is true with the Lord. When you know the Lord's coming back, it has an effect on you, and you'll walk with a degree of purity and holiness and expectation of his return. And so we study Bible prophecy because it's in the Bible and because it has an effect on us. Notice the three questions that they ask him. When shall these things be? Jesus answers that question in Luke chapter 21. We'll deal with it a little later, but if you'd like to know, go look that up in your own time. He answers that question for them in the Gospel of Luke. And then they ask, what shall be the sign of your coming? Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus is talking about the second coming. He is not talking about the rapture. Do you know the rapture and the second coming are two different events? They are not the same. In the rapture, Jesus comes for the church. In the second coming, Jesus comes with the church. The rapture will happen just like that in a moment in twinkling of an eye. If you're a believer, you're going to be violently snatched off this earth. In a moment in twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen. Boom, you're gone. That's the rapture. The second coming happens, it takes place after the seven years of tribulation. In the second coming, Jesus is going to come and plant his feet on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to rule and reign in righteousness for a thousand years, and he'll be coming with the church. So when the disciples ask, what shall be the sign of your coming, they're talking about the second coming, not the rapture. And now Jesus gives them six ways to know The second coming is near. That's what we're going to talk about for the remainder of our few moments together. Six ways, got a pen, got a pad? You're going to need to write these down. Six ways in which to know. Now now, now, now here's a time to turn on your brain. Six ways to know when Jesus is coming, that his coming is near. And all of these ways, you have to understand this, are like birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows, leading up to and into the tribulation. And if you were with us in our study in the book of Revelation, you're going to be amazed to see how what Jesus has to say completely correlates with the sealed judgments in the book of Revelation. I've done the homework for you, and I'll point it out to you. Six ways to know that his coming is near. Number one, you're taking notes. Jesus said in verse four and five, there will be a deception of false messiahs. Did you see that? If you see it, say amen. A deception of false messiahs in verse four and five. Jesus is sitting on the mountain with Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And he says, fellas, you need to keep your eyes open. He says, and don't let anyone deceive you. Because there will be many make believe Messiahs, there's going to be Emmanuel imposters counterfeit Christ. That's how we know we're getting toward the end because there's gonna be an increase. You know, with Spurgeon who said almost every page of history is blotted with the names of such deceivers. Interesting. And in recent history, remember. How quickly we forget, Jim Jones. How quickly we forget? David Koresh, Don't you remember? False doctrine and teaching today, like never before, is on the rise. It seems like we're talking about it all the time here at Calvary. All the time. Sometimes I'm like, "God, give me a break. These people can't hear about false teaching anymore." God says, "Oh, yes, they can. One more Sunday, do them fine. And the one after that. (laughs) Why? Because false teaching is on the rise. In the last days, people are going to be turning away from God and away from the Bible, not drawing close to it. Have you noticed this whole New Age movement? Eastern philosophy is affecting our Western culture. New Age teaching, New Age philosophy and thought there will be a continued intensifying right up to the tribulation and the appearing of the Antichrist, false Christ. Revelation chapter six, verse one and two. Now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. Notice a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Notice this rider on the white horse is not Jesus Christ. It's the Antichrist. And this is huge. This is not Jesus Christ. This is the Antichrist, a false messiah. So leading up and during the tribulation, there will be a deception of false Messiah. Point number two, a devastation of war. There'll be devastation of war. Look at verse six and seven in your Bibles. Jesus said, in the last days, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't be troubled. These things have to take place.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch,